Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Thanks for joining me today. My particular focus in this conversation is for those of you who are involved in emergency communications, specifically in public safety. If you are a sheriff's deputy or a police officer or a firefighter or a first responder in some way, this also might be interesting to you. And even if you're not in emergency communications and you're not in a 911 center, this might also be interesting to you. What I'd like to talk with you about is the concept of connectivity and how it impacts leaders in organizations, specifically how it's impacted how we use our uh, public safety and emergency communications system. Now, I'm a fan of connectivity right out of the gate. Love it. I'm connected right now. In fact, as I sit here and record this conversation, I am looking at no fewer than three devices. There's a fourth one over there that are all connected. If you were to send me a text, I could read it right now and respond, regardless of where you are on the planet or what time zone you're in, and I likely would. It would light up my screen on my delightful iPhone. And I would be able to respond even as I talk with you and record this. I love connectivity. I like the fact that when I take something out of my refrigerator, I can push a little button on my Amazon dashboard and boom, it's going to be delivered tomorrow. I like the fact that when I get in my car and start it up, my GPS has predicted that I'm going to go to a specific location and will tell me, how long it'll take to get there and what the traffic is like. I like the semi-artificial intelligence that's in all of our connectivity. I love it. So I'm a fan. I'm no Luddite, that's for sure. I like it a lot, but I'm also not addicted to it. I don't wake up to it every morning and go to sleep to it every night. It's a tool, but the concept of connectivity and even the reality of connectivity has transformed our lives. I'm such a fan. I mean, it, it literally touches every area of my life. The, uh, the really enjoyable scotch that I am um, sipping on right now as as I talk with you, and hopefully you're not sipping on scotch because you might be driving as you're listening to this podcast, was, was really made available to me through connectivity. Without connectivity, I probably would not know it existed. A friend of mine knows I really enjoy a good cigar, but I only see him every year or every couple of years. But he knows which ones I enjoy because of connectivity. He's able to actually see pictures of me enjoying cigars. It's a wonderful thing. I, I know how to use this recording equipment and how to develop and send to the editors who then post to the podcast site this podcast because connectivity. It's wonderful. Connectivity has transformed our lives. But while I'm a huge fan most of the benefits and the consequences intended and unintended of connectivity. Not everything that this tide has washed ashore in our culture is good. The rise of multiple 24-7 cable news outlets, for example, largely trading in coverage of incident-based and anecdotal extremes, has contributed to a growing sense, for example, that we are less safe than ever before. And this sense of impending doom 
that's looming like a like a, a sandstorm rising up thousands of feet and encroaching on us in the Sahara. This generalized shift in our cultural perception is, of course, contrary to measurable reality. We're really safer than ever. Crime, aggregated, is lower than ever. Cars and buses don't just randomly crash into one another by the hundreds. Cows don't kick over lanterns with catastrophic results. Buildings don't just randomly burst into flame on hot days and consume whole sections of cities. Weather events don't kill more people than ever before, but it sure seems like it. We are more connected, and therefore reports are repeated more than ever in human history. Of course, this is you know this is not a new phenomenon. It's just multiplied. It's it's uh, it's exponentially greater in volume and in and in occurrence. Back in the day, you know, if uh, you had a team of eight or nine people, but you did not have hyper-connected technology fostering their work every day, somebody could be very frustrated about what Biff did and come and complain to you. If you were like a supervisor or a manager, and then the next day someone else would come and complain to you about what Biff did, and then the third day a third person, a fourth day a fourth person, the fifth day five, six, seven, eight people now come to you to complain about what Biff did. The feeling is that Biff has done this thing eight, nine, ten, twelve times. What? I got to go deal with Biff, so you go get your taser and go over there and do what all supervisors do. When in fact, Biff only did it once. It was observed by one person and repeated by one person to all the rest of the people who then took on a, kind of on a mission. They were frustrated, and they came and talked about it. It is as though Biff had done this thing eight times. He did it once. That is, that's really old-school connectivity. So now, all right, here we are. Enter the 911 system. We feel more threatened. The threats seem out of our control. Laws and social norms even support the assumption that the individual is not responsible for her own freedom. Therefore, we have a dramatically increased demand for our public safety systems, including emergency communication centers. This demand far outpaces our population growth. In areas where you look at the number of calls or events that come into communication centers and grab that aggregate number, let's take a middle to mid-sized comm center where they have a, a half a million calls in a year that come into the center. And, and that's increased. It's doubled over the last several years over a baseline number. Population has not doubled. Population has grown by 8, 9, 10% perhaps, but the call volume has doubled, grown by 100%. All of our 911 center team members, by the way, live in the same cultural sea of connectivity. So it feels like much, much more is going on, but we're just more connected. To quote the philosopher Ron Popeil, but wait, there's more. <laughs> if you are somebody who works in one of these comms centers and uh, several of the employees in that center learned their job before the surge of iPhones and other smartphones, which was really, really the first big wave was 2007, 2008. Then the world in which those folks who, who learned their job before that, they learned their job in a different world. Of course, they were connected, uh, but not with the same immediacy and technicolor brilliance that we became connected after 2008. They, the ones who learned that job, if they're in a comm center, were able to disconnect really for long stretches in the day without any adverse consequences. In fact, disconnected before around 2007, 2008, maybe 2009, disconnected was the norm. It was the default of society. We could drive home in silence. News and information was available on schedule rather than on demand. 
But with the advent of connectivity, largely again through smartphones, it's amazing how much of an impact that that has had. This, this change that I'm describing began. If the purpose of all networks, which is connectivity, if the purpose of all networks really is to compress time, that is to get what I want faster, to find out what I need faster, to find out where I can get it faster, to learn faster, to stop faster, to anything, anything faster, faster. The purpose of all networks and has been throughout human history is to compress time. Uh, if back in the day I wanted to know how to shoe my horse, I could either learn how to do it and take weeks, months, years to perfect the skill, or I could, I could use my network, which is going into town and saying, who here knows how to shoe my horse? And someone would say, that guy over there. And I'd go over and talk to him and he'd say, yeah, I can do it. And he'd come out and in a matter of a couple of days, maybe, um, my horse would be shod. So that's, that's a network in a primitive fashion. And now our networks, of course, are technological and they speed up the relationships technologically. But it really, in, in this modern area, it really was the smartphone uh, that finished that last part of the connected network. It's really uh, that connectivity is in our pockets. It's constantly within reach. And, and then add to that connectivity sensationalism and then subtract from that connectivity personal responsibility. And that's why we get twice as much use of our public safety systems as we did a while ago. So with, with all connected networks, two things have to be in place for the network to thrive. First, there has to be saturation. And second, there has to be what I call finalization. A saturation means that nearly everyone who can be in the network is in the network. Finalization describes the means by which the network is available to me at my fingertips. So while let's let's use phones as an example of networking. While landlines reached near saturation, they did not reach finalization in that in order to use that network, I would have to stop my car and walk to a phone booth and make a call. Or I'd need to put down the rake or the shovel and walk into the house and make a call. The uh, the last mile, as it's sometimes called in communications networks, of connectivity took about a hundred times or more longer to complete than the first thousand miles. Illustrate that by this idea. So I've got a friend who lives in Atlanta, and if he calls me right now, right now, if he were to dial my phone number, which he would actually, he's outsourced the responsibility of remembering my number or of storing my number. So all he has to do is press my speed dial or speak into his phone call d hicks bum and it'll call me so he calls me from atlanta georgia and in about one two bum he connects with me my landline phone if it was a landline he called would ring let's imagine that scenario he calls my landline it rings i hear it i put down the rake i walk into the house i pick up the phone and i say this better be good maybe it's 120 seconds maybe it's more. From hearing the ring to hello in this illustration is what I like to call the last mile in a connected network. Let's get a little more techie here. The last mile also refers to the space between in like a phone network, a communications network, the space between the switched trunk in my neighborhood and the specific connection to my wall-mounted device in my kitchen if there were such a thing. Imagine that uh, down a country road, there's five, there's, I don't know, nine, let's say nine farmhouses, each of them about a mile apart down at the end of this country road. 
By the way, most farmers I know would call that a crowded city. <laughs> so the phone signal lands at the hub between the nine houses and switches and routes this signal from that hub to my house specifically. That is often what we have thought of as the last mile. But really, now that hyperconnectivity has now pervaded most cultures on the planet, most Western cultures or, or even second and third world cultures, first world cultures, I mean, first and second world cultures, that last mile would probably now include my delay between the ringing on the wall and me putting down the rake of the shovel and walking in and answering it. Think about that. The network was only as effective as its ability to get a significant amount of people to rely on that network, saturation, and then to make it easy, frictionless for me to use it. So back in the day, I don't know, it's probably a Monday, if I saw a car drive into a ditch, it was probably easier for me to pull over and to help that person than to make a call. So that's what I did. Maybe back in the day, given delays of that last mile, how hard it would have been for me to call for help to get a tow truck or something? How about if I just do it myself, right? So perhaps we were more community-oriented in recent history, not because we were better people with a deeper moral reserve, <laughs> but because we were just lazy. Perhaps helping someone out of a ditch was just slightly easier than driving past them to a phone, calling for someone else to help, and then living with the, with the guilt and the ridicule from those who actually did stop. <laughs> maybe. Ah, maybe not. So zoom out just a little bit. Massive, I think, cultural and societal shifts have occurred simply because of connectivity. More precisely, because the connectivity of the last mile has been solved. We are nearly always connected. Whereas before, disconnected was the default. Connected is now the default. Think about where that's true. If you were to reach out in a text to someone and they didn't respond right away, you'd probably think, what's going on there? Especially if that person usually responds. If you call and someone doesn't respond to the call, you probably think, where are they? What the heck? What's the matter? What's going on? So massive cultural shifts have occurred because of connectivity. This change in our connected versus disconnected default is fascinating to me. And it affects literally everything we do. I see a problem, instantly and easily connect with someone else who should solve the problem and can solve the problem, and I go on my scheduled way. It's just easier, and it's generally accepted. To expect that someone else will deal with the problem, that someone else is often government. Specifically, if it's a problem of any sort of perceived emergent nature, that specific part of government is public safety. And if you work in public safety, that someone else is probably you. I cannot overemphasize how massive this shift has been in its impact on the workforce itself, especially within public safety, because you're the ones I'm imagining right now as, as I talk and as I think about this. And this, of course, relates to other uh, segments of our society well, but it's, a, it's especially clear to me. Can't overemphasize how massive this shift has been on the workforce itself as well, since we're talking mostly here with folks who are in communication centers, call, call receivers, dispatchers, managers, directors, first responders as well. And if you've got a family member, this relates as well. The workforce within these centers live in this sea as well, and it has a huge impact on you. Call receivers and dispatchers, of course, live with this last mile in their pocket as well. Your phone right now, no matter where you are, is within an inch of you or six inches of you. It might be, you might be listening to this on your phone or some other connected device. So if you are a part of a comm center, 
your team members are all swimming in this same cultural sea change as the callers are swimming in, as the citizens are swimming in. Make note of how many times mental models about the underlying focus of responsibility reveal themselves in public safety and emergency communications. Because connectivity has unintentionally resulted in a shift of personal responsibility. It's easier to blame others when I don't know something than it used to be. No one told me, for example, is the hallmark of a connected world. If I could not learn, it's because my supervisor was bad. If I arrived late to my shift, it's because the supervisor didn't remind me. If I overslipped, it's because, because Apple's new iOS updates reset the default, so to speak, on my alarm function. It's Apple that did it. These, of course, are all true. They all happened or they didn't happen and are convenient explanations for my action or for my, or for my inaction. This is one of the result of frictionless connectivity where networks have given me the ability to utterly outsource personal responsibility. This change it really, I think, is of historic proportions. It's not all bad, of course. We benefit from networks on, on so many levels, but the surprising cost, at least at this point in our history, is in part the outsourcing of our personal responsibility. Effective and resilient leaders in organizations are keenly aware of this reality and they develop skills to remind their team of personal responsibility in an attempt to balance this new reality of a connected society. Every significant interaction I have as a leader presents an opportunity, I think, to underscore this theme of personal responsibility. If you're in a comm center again and a dispatcher is frustrated with the demands of, that are coming from first responders, the supervisor can ask, okay, I see you're frustrated, but what's completely within your control? And what are you doing with that control? When a call receiver is irritable and rude with coworkers at the end of a long shift and complains about how difficult the job is, if you're a leader, you can listen attentively and you can ask, what, okay, what's your part? And what are you going to do about it? Emphasizing once again the responsibility that I have as an individual. Think of the number of times at work when, when interactions are made more complicated because someone did not take responsibility. Effective supervisors and leaders are really on a mission, the good ones, to underscore personal responsibility. Remind your team members, if you're in that role, that they are personally responsible for their own behavior and for their own relationships. You'll be doing them a favor. So thanks for joining me today. My challenge for you is to pay attention to the beauty of connectivity while at the same time paying attention to the tendency to cause us to outsource our own responsibility for our own choices and our own behavior. Practice personal responsibility and it'll set you free. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.